Gracious Lord, we, we thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Indeed, it is your word. For indeed, you are the word. You are the very word from the Father. You are the one who shows us and is in your very self the gospel, the good news, the one who has redeemed us from every sin and, 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 and is purifying us, a people for yourself. Oh, gracious Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for this parable. Indeed, Lord Jesus, we know that you told us these things so that we might know how we are to live in your kingdom. Oh, Lord Jesus, we love you. We love you and we long for you to come. As indeed it says in Revelation, come, Lord Jesus, come. And I pray that as we look at your word this morning, I pray that as we look at your parable this morning, that we would be reminded afresh of the importance of looking and watching and being ready for your coming. And I pray all these things in your glorious name. Amen. Now, as I've been preaching through a series of parables in the Gospels, um, I've been preaching different parables. For example, the parable of the uh, pearl, uh, the parable of the treasure hidden in the field, uh, the parable of the persistent widow. And we come here to this parable that Jesus told, the parable of the ten virgins. And as again, as I've said in, in previous sermons, these parables show us what it's like to live in the kingdom of God, what it's like to live in the kingdom of Christ. And each parable brings out something about that kingdom that we need to know. Each parable brings out something that's important for us to consider. And we see here in this parable, it concerns Christ's second coming. And we are to expect it. We would expect it. Now, if you've, if you've read the, the, the Gospel of Matthew, in, in chapter 24, Jesus is talking about the signs of the end of the age, what it looks like before he comes again. And in 24, chapter 24, verse 45, Jesus says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Who then is the faithful and wise servant? And Jesus gives two parables here in chapter 25 of who this servant is, who is the faithful and who is the wise servant. And the first of these parables, the parable of the ten virgins, shows us the wise servant. Shows us the wise servant. And the parable of the talents which follows, which I won't be preaching today, is on on the the faithful servant. What what it's like to to be faithful to Christ. And the thing is about both of these parables, they're about the professing church of Christ. They're about those who claim to follow Christ. They're about those who who sit there in the church pews, in this church, in other churches, in churches everywhere around the globe. We need to make sure that we're faithful and wise. If not, we won't get into the kingdom when Christ comes back. And we see particularly from this parable, the parable of the ten virgins, that those who are truly Christ's watch for him. A wise Christian is a watching Christian. A wise Christian is a watching Christian. Have a look with me first at verses 1 to 5, and I'll read them again. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. 
Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. And you see here, there are two groups, and there are, only, there are really only two groups in the church, in the visible church, that is, the wise and the foolish. And as I go through this parable, you will see that there is a distinction between them. And in all of Jesus' parables, as I've been preaching before, you will, you will always see a distinction. But here in this parable, the wise versus the foolish. The wise have oil with their lamps. The foolish don't. The wise are ready. The foolish aren't. The wise are let in. The foolish are shut out. The wise are known by Christ. The foolish are not. And as, as I go through this, I want you to think about the, the divide and the distinction between them. For it makes all the difference. Now, as we see here in verses 1 to 5, we see a wedding. We see a wedding. Now, at this time, weddings took place in the evening. And what would happen is the bridegroom and his friends would go from his, the procession from his house and they would go to the bride's house. Now, the bride's house, the bride was there. But with her were the, her bridesmaids or young virgins or young women. And the bridegroom and his friends, the, the party would come to the bride's house. And what would happen is the, the, the bridesmaids and the young virgins would come out and meet, meet them. They would all come in one procession and they would go in and the door would be shut. And the thing is, the young women, because it was evening, they would have lamps that they would light as they go forth. And so the virgins here that we see, these young virgins, they were the same. All right? They were the same. They needed to watch and be ready for the coming of the bridegroom. Now in this parable, we see different types of people. We see the virgins. We see the bridegroom. We also see lamps, and each one of these signifies something, a different reality in the kingdom of God. Now, the virgins here, as I said before, is the professing church of Christ. And the wise virgins here are believers. They truly know Christ, and Christ truly knows them. However, the foolish virgins, they are the ones who are still in the visible church of Christ, and yet they don't know Christ. They're nominal Christians, Christians who say that they follow Christ, but do not. Now, the bridegroom here is the one who is coming. He's the one who is coming. And we know who that is. That is Christ. He's coming. We know he's coming. And now the lamps. The lamps is the point of distinction, the main point of distinction. Sorry, the oil is the main of the distinction. The lamps, however, is something that both true and false Christians have together. And what this is, is a profession of faith. Both true and false people in the church, true and false Christians, they both claim to follow Christ. They will both say that they follow him. They will both sing the same songs. They will pray. I want you to think about the Pharisees, for example. They claim to follow Christ. They claim to do what he said and and walk in his paths. And yet even though they professed, even though in this uh, parable they would have a lamp, we will see that they had no oil with that lamp. So we see here that both the foolish and the wise virgins had a lamp. And yet this, this here is the point of distinction. Only some had oil. 
Only some had oil that they took with their lamp as extra oil. Now in the Bible, God's people are sometimes contrasted with the world in terms of wise and foolish. In the chapter of, of, of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1 that I wrote out, there were the two kinds of people. There were the wise and the, the foolish, those who seek after wisdom and those who reject wisdom when she's calling out to be heard. And in Proverbs 1 verse 7, earlier in that chapter, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. In 1 Corinthians 1, it says that the wisdom of God is the foolishness of men. The wisdom of God is the foolishness of men. It says that Christ is to us as believers wisdom from God to those who are called. But we see even in the church here, there is a wise and foolish distinction. There will always be weeds among the wheat, if you remember that parable that Jesus told. Now, as these virgins are waiting, the foolish didn't bring oil. Why? They're not waiting as they should. They're complacent. Maybe they don't think, maybe they, don't think they need extra oil. Maybe they just think they'll be fine. They say to themselves, oh, we'll be fine. We don't need anything extra. We say we follow Jesus and we do these certain things. We'll be fine. We'll be fine when he comes again. However, the wise, they're eager for the bridegroom. They're eager for him to come back. They're eager for him to come and they want to be ready. They want to be ready. Now, the oil for the lamps signifies this. It signifies grace in the heart. It signifies a new heart. It signifies a heart that has the spirit. See, the heart is totally different between a Christian and a non-Christian. And the heart is out of which everything else comes. And the thing is, the oil that they take with them, the, the oil that the wise have is grace in their hearts. Someone who is truly saved, their heart is no longer dead in sin. It is made alive by the spirit. However, the foolish, their heart is still a natural heart, dead in sin. In the church, there will be those who are serving, those who are doing outwardly good things, those who are helping others. But even among these people who are outwardly serving Christ, there will be some who have no oil in their lamps. In some churches, there will be more of these people who do not have oil. In others, other churches, there will be fewer of them. But Jesus said you will always have weeds among the wheat. And the Pharisees, as I said before, had their lamps. And in fact, they like to put their lamps on pedestals and show it to everyone. They like to show everyone what they had. They had a profession. They had works. As Danny was praying, with, with, they had long prayers and they used many words. Even, even the pagans babbled. But they weren't saved. They weren't wise. And so I want to ask you this morning, do you have grace in your heart? Do you have a new heart? Do you have oil in your lamp, oil with your lamp, or do you just have the lamp? Do you just have a lamp? It doesn't matter if you claim to follow Christ, if you, if you, if you are not actually his. If he doesn't dwell in your heart, then your lamp will be useless. Your lamp will be useless. You may be eager and zealous for God in doing things. You may be frequent in coming to church. You may give to the work of the church. You may be strict in performing duties. You may have some form of devotion, and that is good. And yet the crucial factor is whether or not 
you already, whether or not you have grace in your heart. Jesus doesn't want your outward works without grace in your heart. If you remember the other parable, one of the other parables that Jesus told about the, the different soils, there's only one good soil. The first soil is that the heart is hard and the word can't even get in. And yet the second and the third soils, those soils are the tricky ones. The shallow soil and the thorny soil, you see that one springs up quickly and one of them grows normally, but both of them fail at the end. The thing is, both of them seem to be growing for a while. Both of them seem to be maybe going strong for a while. And yet they give up. Their lamp goes out. This is the first point. This is the first point. Make sure you're ready. The thing is, Jesus could come back at any time, and we will see that as we go through this parable. Are you ready for Jesus to come back? Are you ready? Do you have oil with your lamp? For this makes all the difference. So we've seen first that in order to be wise, you need to be ready. And next we see that the coming of Christ will be rapid. The coming of Christ will be rapid. Have a look with with me at verses 6 to 9. But at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will be not enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. We see here that the bridegroom is delayed. The bridegroom is delayed. In Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 3 it says this, For still the vision awaits at appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. If you remember the disciples after Jesus, just before he was ascended into heaven and just after he was raised from the dead, he said this, he said, he said, wait in Jerusalem. Do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait there for the promise of my father. They were to tarry, as the old language goes. They were to wait, to watch. The thing is, there's always a reason God seems to delay. There's always a reason God seems to delay, whether it's in answer to our prayer, whether it's in Christ coming back. There's always a reason. He may not come in our time. Jesus may not come in our time, but he always comes at the right time. He may not come in our time, but he comes at the right time. In 2 Peter 3, in 2 Peter 3, feel free to, to turn there with me. In 2 Peter chapter 3. Verses 8 to 10. And here Peter is talking about the day of the Lord. And he's saying it will come. It will come and, and all, all the heavens will be burned up and there will be the new heavens and new earth. But, but right there in that, at verse 8, he encourages them with this. He says this, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 
For the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on them will be exposed. The thing is, God's patience, his delay means salvation. He delays so that people will be saved, so people will have grace in their hearts, and so that they will be ready for his coming. As I was saying before in the children's talk, to imagine that you've made a new friend and you, you want to make a good impression. But I want you to think about this. Imagine if you told them the time that they're to come and the time for them to come is at 7 p.m. sharp. They have to come at 7. Now, sometimes people will, will come maybe 10 minutes later or 15 minutes later, depending on the people. But the thing is, what you want to do when, 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 when someone's coming over is you, you tidy and you cook and you, you clean up, you, you, you put different things out, you put different things away, you do your hair, you use deodorant, whatever it is, and it hits 7 p.m. It hits 7 p.m. You're still eager. You're still waiting. You might look out the side of the window. Is that their car? No, that's, that's Aunt Margaret down the street. Right? It's, it's not them yet. You're still eager. 7.30 p.m. Where are they? Surely they should be here by now. No word. No word. 8 p.m. Well, they're probably not coming now. Maybe they're coming, but they're probably not coming. It reaches 9 p.m. They're not, no, they're not coming. They're definitely not coming. What do you do? Do you still wait? It's 9 p.m. You'd probably go to bed. You'd probably um, do things before you go to bed, and then, then you'd sleep, and you'd go to bed. That can't be the same way we think about Christ and his coming. The thing is, we always long for him to come. We always look around the corner that he's coming. And the thing is, he hasn't come yet. And that's an obvious fact, but he hasn't come yet. And sometimes we're tempted to do the same thing that we would if our friend didn't come at 9pm. Didn't come by 9pm. We would grow complacent. We would, we would say they're not coming. We might give up, we might stop looking for them. We might go to bed, we might go to sleep. Maybe we should just think about other things. Maybe this is you here this morning. Maybe because Christ hasn't come back yet. Maybe you're complacent. Maybe, maybe you, you've just grown forgetful. Maybe you say, surely he's not coming in my life. Surely he's not coming you know, when I'm living. How often do you think of Christ's second coming? I know when I started to, to read this through the first time before I was going to prepare it, I thought to myself the same thing. How often do I think of Christ coming? I could come back with an answer, not much. Not much. We often think of his first coming, don't we? We often think of his first coming and with good reason, and we should. But do we ever think of his second coming? Do we often look with eager expectation of him coming back? And we see here in this parable that both the wise and the foolish virgins sleep. Everyone sleeps. And the church, this seems to indicate the church or a significant portion of it will not be watching actively for Christ's second coming. The teaching of his second coming will not be spoken of as much. Some may be ready. They may have grace in their hearts. The Christian church, the true church, true Christians will be ready. But it doesn't mean that they're watching. Their zeal might grow cold. Their devotion might decrease. Their holiness, their drive for holiness might go down. 
Their affections for Christ might lower. See, the coming of Jesus Christ, if you have it before your heart and your minds actively, what it tends to do is increase your holiness. It tends, for it says, for without holiness, no one will see the Lord. It will increase your holiness. It will increase your patience. For you know, he will come, I will wait. It will increase your zeal. There are people who are not saved. It will increase your evangelism. It will increase your devotion to him. It will increase your redeeming of the time because it could come at any moment. If he comes tonight, or have we used today for his glory? It will increase your prayerfulness. Come, Lord Jesus, come. You may have grace in your heart and you may be ready. As it says of the wise virgins, virgins, they were ready. You may have grace in your heart and yet you may be found sleeping when Christ comes again. Don't let that be the case. Don't let that be the case. Peter, James and John, when Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus said, what did he say? He said, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. What did they do? They slept. They slept. Though the, the spirit is winning, the flesh is weak. And isn't that all of us? Our spirit may be willing. Our flesh is weak. Our flesh is weak. The disciples in the resurrection, when Jesus was raised from the dead, were the disciples expecting it? No, they weren't. They were huddled away. They were surprised to find the tomb empty. They were surprised to find the tomb empty. They weren't watching. They weren't watching. Have a look with me at the verses again. Verse 6. What's the cry? Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. What did the wise virgins do? They trimmed their lamps. They cut off some of the wick. They put some more oil in their lamp so that it would keep on burning. What did the foolish virgins do? Well, they're in a bit of a pickle. Their lamps are going out. They've got no oil. They've got no extra oil in order to keep their lamps burning. And what do they do? They want oil from the wise. They said, give us some of your oil. They want some oil from the wise. So the thing is, before the groom had come, they were perfectly complacent with their mere outward religion. But now they want the real deal. But now they want the real deal. Why? Because they look foolish. Why? Because they're not ready. Why? Because there's a fear of punishment. Why? They're going to miss out. They don't want to be too late. I want you to note here that you can't get saving grace from others. You can't be saved by someone else's faith. Salvation doesn't count for one person and and, and then kind of go on to someone else at the same time. Your faith doesn't count for anyone else's. As a parent, your faith does not count for your children at all. Your spouse, their faith, it doesn't count for you. Your faith, it doesn't count for them. Every person individually must be born again. There is no other option. There is no other option. Every single person must come to that moment of being born again by God, of repenting and putting their trust in God after they've been born again. I want you to notice the speed of Christ's coming, the speed of the bridegroom's coming, and the speed of, of Christ's coming when he comes again. He won't notice, notify us a week in advance. 
He won't send you a text saying, I'm coming in one week at 7pm. He won't do that. He will come at a time no one expects. All those, those kooky people who think that they can figure out exactly when Jesus is coming, it's just plain false. Jesus said he will come like a, a thief in the night when no one expects. No one will know. You won't know. I won't know. Imagine in that scenario I just said before, imagine your friends then turn up at 9pm. What would you do? Would you still be waiting? Probably not. You'd probably be surprised. Yet Christ tells us to expect it. To expect it. He will come. He must come at any moment. Like a thief in the night. You can't predict it. All you can do is watch and wait and make sure, as I was saying before, that you're ready. Christ will come again to save his people. Christ will come again to judge the world. Christ will come in power and glory. Suddenly, openly, soon. So be ready and be watching. Do not be found sleeping on your watch. So we've seen that to be wise is to be ready. But we've seen also that we are to be watching and that Christ could come at any moment. And I want you next to see the reality of judgment. The reality of, reality of judgment. For there is a reward for the righteous. But for those who do not know Christ, for the wicked... And they're not righteous in and of themselves, but only of Christ. But, 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 but the wicked, they're, 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 there is only judgment. Friends, that is what we deserve. And yet God in his grace and his mercy has, has taken us from that. And ha- yet have a look with me at verses 10 to 13. And while they, and this is the, the foolish virgins, were going to buy... Sorry. And while they, the foolish virgins, were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you do not know neither the day nor the hour. How glorious it is in verse verse 10 that the bridegroom comes. It says those who already went in with him to the marriage feast. They went in to the feast and the door was shut. There is a reward for Christians and how glorious this is. We're not just saved and that is a joy in and of itself to be saved from our sins. But we also not only don't, we not only don't experience the negative, we get the positive. There is a glorious inheritance laid up for us in heaven. In Revelation 19, it says, Blessed are all who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. In Matthew 8, Jesus talks again about the, this marriage feast in heaven. And the thing is there, is, there is never a too late for a Christian. There is never a too late for a Christian. So if you're in Christ here today, even when you're sleeping or even if you're not, if you were ready, you will come in and Christ will take you into his kingdom. You know him. He knows you. And there is never a too late. There is never a too late. 
But there will be a too late for the non-Christian, those who do not know Christ. The door will be shut. If you remember in the days of Noah, with the ark, when God was judging the earth for the, for the sin that they had in their hearts and the, the actions that they did, what did God do at, at, the, at the ark? He, it says God shut the door of the ark. There, there, was, there was no more chance of hope. There was no more chance of redemption. It was too late. It was too late. Verse 11, have a look with me. They still try to say, Lord, Lord. In yours it said, Sir, Sir. The word there repeated twice is a sign of intimacy. When Jesus says, Martha, Martha. It's a sign of intimacy. And here they're claiming that intimacy. They say, Lord, Lord. They say, Lord, Lord. I'm going to read you some verses from Matthew chapter 7. A parable and the sermon, sorry, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. And I want you to notice the difference, uh, the, the similarities here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? Notice there, they're claiming to do outward things for Christ. And Jesus said, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Can you see the similarities here? They claim, they say, Lord, Lord. And Jesus said, I never knew you. I never knew you. The distinction between the wise and the foolish reaches its crescendo here. One are shut out and the other get to go in and enter into the joy of their master. One are ready, one are not. Friends, don't let that be you to hear those words, I never knew you. Don't, don't let it be the case that you hear those words, I never knew you. Are they chilling words? Are they chilling words? In Psalm 1 it says, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. He knows the way of the righteous. 2 Timothy 2.19, and this is one of my favorite promises in the word of God. It says this, the Lord knows those who are his he knows them he knows them and he, it's not talking just about the, the, the fact that god can see everything and he knows everything cognitively and he, he knows it all to know there means to intimately know to be in fellowship with in verse 13 it says jesus said watch therefore for you know neither the day nor the hour watch Watch. We need to be alert. We need to be ready. We need to be watching. For friends, there will be a day when some will go in and some will be shut out. For those here who have forgotten, and so often I know I, I do, for those who, who do not actively think here of Christ's second coming, watch. Make sure you are watching, for he will come suddenly. Don't become lazy or, or slothful or, or lacking in zeal. Do not become lacking in zeal. Look for his return and pray for his return. Say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Watch against pride. 
Watch against sin and temptations. Watch against false doctrine. Watch against a lack of love. But watch against your own heart becoming lazy and sleeping. Friends, do not forget his coming. Watch for his coming every day. Ask him to come every day. Say, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Maybe there, there are here people who are weary of waiting for Christ. Maybe you're weary of waiting for Christ. Maybe you're going through times of trouble. Maybe you're sick at the moment or for whatever reason. Maybe you're weary of waiting for Christ coming back. He hasn't come. Friends, this is a reminder that Christ will come. He must come for He is promised and He is faithful to all His promises. He will save us. He will take us into the marriage feast. He will let us in. He is coming for you. He is coming for you. Keep, keep waiting. Won't that be glorious to be with Christ forever? Won't that be glorious? Forever. With Christ. Forever. He's coming. Keep waiting. Keep watching. He may take you to be with Himself before He comes. Either way, we will be with Him. But friends, look out for His coming. and Wait for it. Wait for it. Maybe you haven't thought much about this truth of Christ's coming. Maybe it's not as essential in your list of essential truths from God's Word. The thing is, every early believer emphasize this coming of Christ. They, 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 they long for His coming. Paul would, Paul would speak of Christ coming back soon. Soon. And Christ hasn't come back since the Apostle Paul said that. And yet we should all say that Christ is coming soon. Christ Himself emphasized it. This is one of the primary truths Christ emphasized before He died. If you do not think it is essential, I want you to rethink this truth about Christ's second coming. If you don't look forward to his coming, maybe you cannot be bothered, then surely it shows a heart that does not long for Christ at all. If you do not look forward to Christ's coming back, if you only fear his judgment, if you don't long to be with him forever, maybe this shows a heart that isn't ready. Maybe this shows a heart that does not have the oil for your lamp. For those who aren't ready, for those who aren't ready, don't put it off. Don't put it off any longer. The thing is, Christ could come back in a moment. He could come back this very night. He could come back in an hour. He could come back at any time. And it will be too late. The door will be shut. I think of situations that I've had in the past. Maybe, maybe even simple situations where you run for a train and you're just that little bit too late. The doors close and the train goes and that train was the only thing between you and getting somewhere on time or at all. Friends, there is a too late. There is a too late. If you look in your heart and you see that in fact you don't know Christ, if it makes you uncomfortable, Christ coming back, if this, if this makes you uncomfortable... Friend, don't put it off. You can come back at any moment. It will be too late. Turn to Christ. Turn to Christ. 
the bridegroom, trust in him, ask him for a new heart that longs and waits for him. As he saves you, you will long for his coming. You will long for those words on that final day, enter into the joy of your master. You will long for that. For friends, he is coming. So make sure you're ready and make sure if you're a Christian that you're watching. That you're watching. For he comes. He comes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your son. For Out of your great love, you sent him into this world. And out of his great love, he came into this world. And Lord, we, have, we, we, we love his first appearing. We love his first appearing. But as your word says, he will appear again, not to deal with sins, for he has already done that, but to save all those who wait for him. Oh Lord, we long for that day as Christians. We long for that day as Christians. When we will be with our blessed Lord forever, there will be no more mourning or crying. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more aches. There will be no more troubles. There will be no more heartache, Lord. There will be no more sin. But we will enjoy the marriage feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb forever and forever and forever. Father, I pray that we would look to your Son and his coming. Oh, Lord, even though we have not seen him, we love him. And even though we do not see him now, we we rejoice in him. Lord, we believe in him and rejoice with the joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And Lord, we long for his coming. We long for his coming, for he would take us to be with him. Lord, if if we are weary and, Lord, if we, we feel like giving up, I pray that you would strengthen us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to fix before our hearts and minds this glorious truth that Christ is coming. Oh, Lord, so often we are weak. And like the disciples, oh, Lord, we want to nod off. And we do not want to watch and pray. We do not want to look out for Christ and his coming. So I ask, Lord, that you would strengthen us by your spirit. Not by might, not by, not by power, says the Lord, but by my spirit. And I pray, O oh Lord, that indeed by your spirit we would seek to do all these things. Lord, I pray that we would be found on that final day. I pray that we would be found ready. And I pray also, Lord, that we would be found watching for the coming of our Lord, our blessed Lord. I pray indeed we would have this before our minds, not only today, the rest of the week, the rest of the month, the year, and indeed for the rest of our lives. And gracious Lord, please, send your Son. Lord Jesus, we cry to you, come, Come, Lord Jesus, come and take us to be with you. And we pray these things in your blessed name. Amen.